welcome to My Favorite Theorem, the math podcast with no quiz at the end. I'm your host, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, and this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. How's it going? All right. Yeah, I was yeah. I was trying to think about what to say, and I was like, well, the most exciting thing in my life right now is that our city is starting a pilot program of food waste, like a specific mm. food waste bin. Okay. Um, but then I realized I also did an 80-mile bike ride last Saturday, and that's the ah. first time I've biked that far, and that okay. might be slightly more exciting than uh, are you compost. Working, are, you, are you working up to centuries? Are you are you heading for... Well, we'll see. I, yeah. I felt like pretty fine after 80. I also didn't yep. feel like I wanted to do 20 more miles, so, <laughs> you know, uh, we'll see. Someday, uh, maybe. The last century I did was, uh, wow, it was 2003. It was 20 years ago. This is one called the Six Gap Century in Georgia, and it goes over six mountain passes in the mountains of North Georgia. One of which has about has, oh, wow. a, has like a fifteen percent grade, which is quite steep. Um, yeah. It took me about eight hours, uh, and then I hung up my bike and didn't ride it for like three months. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I would probably it would probably take me at least eight hours to do a flat century. So, uh -huh, uh -huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ba back in my youth, I could do a flat century in about five, but but yeah. not anymore, not anymore. So um, let's keep this banter going because I, so Ben Orlin, a former uh, guest on our podcast, I saw a math with bad drawings today where he had like various golden ratios. Um, one of which was like the golden ratio of, uh, of hot fudge to ice cream and a hot fudge sundae, which he argues is one to one, but I, that's way too much fudge. But that, that is so much fudge. But, but the podcast like substance to banter golden ratio, he claims is like two to one. So like a third of this should just be like us, you know, uh, just, just shooting it, you know, saying nothing. Uh, yeah. Saying nothing. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I must admit that's why I listen to fewer podcasts than maybe I would want to, because I have a low banter tolerance, which brings us to that's right. our guest today. <laughs> yeah. So we are very happy to welcome Corinne Yap today. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um. Yeah. So I uh, am currently a visiting assistant professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology, Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. uh, in the math department. I'm also a postdoc affiliated with the Algorithms and Randomness Center, uh, but I just got my PhD in the spring from mm. Rutgers University. Congratulations. Uh, I study, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do a lot of like probabilistic combinatorics uh, and stuff around that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of my main research work. I also do some performing and some playwriting uh, as well. I actually just got back from a performance yesterday oh. uh, at Worcester Polytechnic Institute uh, in oh, Massachusetts. Wow. So very busy this time. Yeah, and so. that's actually one of the reasons that I've, I've been wanting to invite you for a while. And I was like, well, I should wait until I've seen one of her shows. <laughs> and then it's like, it just has not aligned to work out because I know you've oh. done them at the joint meetings and things. And it just, mm -hmm. the times that I have been there and you have been there, it's just not been a good time. So it's like, well, I'm not going to put this off forever. So <laughs> even though I have not yet <laughs> seen one of your shows, I'm very glad that that we could invite you and have you here. And yeah, well, can you talk a little bit about the kinds of theater that you do or, or kinds of, I don't know if it's mostly theater or more like other, mm -hmm. I don't know, speaking Genre. performances. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I um, started out, well, it really started when I was a lot younger uh, and also in college. I primarily studied both mathematics and theater with no sort of vision as to 
what that would turn into in terms of a job or a career or anything. I just really enjoyed doing both of them. Um, and as an undergraduate, I, I thought I was mainly interested in acting, but I started studying playwriting while at uh, Sarah Lawrence College mm -hmm. in uh, Westchester, New York. Um, and I started writing this play, uh, which is the play that I continue to perform. It's called Uniform Convergence. Mm. And it's a one-woman play that's about math. Um, it tells the story of Sofia Kovalevskaya, who is a historical Russian mathematician. She was born in 1850. Mm. And it tells a little bit about her life uh, and how she faced a lot of obstacles to be successful as, a, as one of the first few women in academia. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also has a portion that is sort of inspired by my experiences um, being Asian American and also being a woman um, mm -hmm. pursuing mathematics. And uh, the setting is uh, that of a real analysis classroom, a lecture where the character is a professor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is lecturing to her students. So at one point they do reach the point of the class where they do uniform convergence mm -hmm. uh, as a topic. So, um, you know, in the past I did a lot more like uh, in college I did, you know, the auditioning for plays and being involved in rehearsals and all this sort of stuff. But since going to graduate school and now having an actual job, um, <laughs> this one play is sort of the main way that I, I keep my ties to uh, doing theater and the theater world. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah, well, that's cool. I didn't realize that Kovalevskaya was the subject of this. I actually just read Alice Munro's short story, Too Much Happiness, which is based on her life and actually was not my favorite short story in the collection that it's uh -huh. in. Uh -huh. But it, you know, uh, like she is such a compelling figure and another woman who is interested in math um, you know, at a time when it was a lot harder for a woman to have an academic career in mm -hmm. any field and was interested in literature, wrote, mm -hmm. um, I think, both memoirs and fiction. She also wrote um, a play. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it wasn't so, about math. But yeah, yeah. She mm -hmm. was um, very much also in both of these worlds in, a, you know, sort of a more artistic, creative mindset as well as a, a mathematical one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating person. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's really interesting, and um, hopefully someday I'll get to see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm still performing. I I didn't think I necessarily would be, um, but it's been since 2017. I've been performing it at different uh, college campuses and sometimes at conferences in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and I I still get invited places. <laughs> so as long as that keeps happening, I'll I'll keep going. Yeah. When I was still uh, in academia and, and doing a postdoc, I did, you know, I'd started doing writing and sometimes I would get invited to do both like a research seminar talk, seminar talk and like a public engagement kind of talk. And so that that might be in your future as well. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, yeah. Broader impacts Wear both hats too. Yeah. on one trip. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I forgot. I am doing that, I think, I think this is the first time I'm doing it uh, at Duke in October, where mm. one day I'll be giving a seminar talk, and then the next day I'll be performing the play. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, we invited you on here to talk about your plays, but also to talk about your favorite theorem. So what have you chosen? Yeah, so I've chosen um, Mantel's theorem as my favorite theorem. Okay. Um, so this is a theorem that uh, is in 
the area called, you know, extremal combinatorics, and I'll explain what that means. But the statement of the theorem is pretty straightforward. Um, it says that if you have a graph, which I'm a combinatorialist, so for me, graphs mean collections of vertices with mm -hmm. edges connecting pairs of vertices. Um, if you have a graph on n vertices, uh, then the maximum number of edges you can have without forming any triangles, so just okay. three edges and three vertices uh, connected to each other, um, the maximum number of edges you can have with no triangles is n squared over 4 with okay. the appropriate okay. floor. Yeah, um, sure. And this seems like, okay, this is, this is just a statement, maximum number of edges, what's so cool about that? Um, you actually, we actually also know where the n squared over 4 comes from. It's mm -hmm. the extremal example is the complete bipartite graph mm -hmm. on parts of size n over 2. So what that means is you split your vertices up into two sets, each of size half mm -hmm. the total universe, and all of your edges go between the two parts, so one from one part to the other, not inside the vertices mm -hmm. and the parts. Right, right. Okay. Um, so complete means you have all the possible edges crossing between the parts, and then bipartite because you have the two parts of the vertices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that has n squared over four edges, um, and it has no triangles in it. Right. Um, right. Not even any cycles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, no odd cycles, yeah. Mm -hmm, um, right. Oh, right, even ones, yeah. Um, so one reason I really like this is because when I first learned it, I didn't, I didn't really think much of it. I learned it in an undergraduate class mm -hmm. in combinatorics and there are like three, maybe four proofs that we learned that were all pretty short and straightforward. Um, one of the most basic proofs is just via induction mm -hmm. on the number of vertices. Um, and there's nothing... There's no really, you know, heavy machinery that's that's needed at all. And I I didn't think much of it and I didn't have any context as to like why why do we care about this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But every year I learn more and more things that make me appreciate this theorem mm -hmm. <laughs> more and more. Mm -hmm. Because it really was the foundation for this whole field that we call extremal combinatorics, which is really centered on these questions of like what are the maxima and minima of certain things that we want to count when we put certain constraints on the problem. So this is an example. We want the maximum number of edges and our constraint is we have no triangles. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you can, there are a lot of different directions you can go with this sort of theorem. Um, one of the most sort of classical foundational ones is just to replace triangle with a different type of graph. Like you could say, okay, if I want the maximum number of edges with no cycle of length four mm -hmm. or cycle of length 10, right? What can I say? Mm -hmm. Or if I want the maximum number of edges with no complete graph of size five, where complete means, you know, the vertices, you mm -hmm. have every possible edge between every pair of vertices. Um, right. And, uh, this type of problem, sort of replacing triangle with other things, is called a Turan-type problem because there's mm -hmm. a Turan's theorem that generalizes Mantel's theorem to um, complete graphs of higher orders. Um, and we basically know the answer uh, of what the extremal number is and the extremal constructions for uh, almost every graph, except for when you consider a bipartite graph as mm -hmm. your 
instead of triangles. The thing you're trying to avoid. Exactly. Um, And there's a reason for this. There's a theorem where um, it basically fails or it's, it's trivial in the case that your forbidden graph is bipartite. And so there's been a lot of study. It's still a very active area of research. And what people are doing is sort of taking different flavors of this Turan-type problem that sort of started with Mantel's theorem. Um, And my first uh, paper in graduate school was on a topological version of this theorem, Mm. where we were looking at these higher dimensional structures called hypergraphs, Mm -hmm. um, which you can think of as a higher dimensional version of a graph, Mm -hmm. and looking at like sort of a more geometric or topological viewpoint on these hypergraphs by making them into simplicial, abstract simplicial complexes. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to go into the details of that, but um, I found it, you know, when I did that project, I, I found it very cool that, that we could take this seemingly, you know, purely combinatorial graph theoretic statement about just counting edges and somehow turn it into something that requires a little bit more of a geometric or topological point of view, which is not something I had spent much time with before. Um, and so that's that's sort of one direction at the beginning of my grad school career where I felt like I had suddenly a much greater appreciation for this theorem. And on the other end, right, where I am now, it's also connecting um, very heavily to the research direction that I'm currently pursuing which uh, is in statistical physics, which is uh, for me an entirely like unexpected (laughs) application of this sort of thing. But if you think about it, this um, sort of uh, characterization of the extremal structure saying, okay, we can achieve the maximum with a complete bipartite graph. You can view this as sort of a a ground state, if you will, of uh, sort of, if you want to think of the vertices as like particles in some mm-hmm. sort of distribution, and you can take a probabilistic point of view on these sorts of counting problems. Um, for example, it turns out that uh, the triangle-free graphs and the bipartite graphs, if you think of these two collections, triangle-free graphs and bipartite graphs on n vertices, mm-hmm. they're very closely related to one another. Mm-hmm. In fact, almost all triangle-free graphs are bipartite. Mm. Um, this is a theorem by... Uh, Erdos Kleiman and Rothschild. Wow. And, uh, and so you can sort of ask how, how far does that be- behavior persist if you mm-hmm. add more constraints to your problem? And you can think about it as in a probabilistic sense of thinking like, well, what if I have a probability distribution on my triangle-free graphs and I have a probability mm-hmm. distribution on my bipartite graphs? How are those distributions related to one another? Mm -hmm. And what does the counting statement say in terms of the probability distributions and when we we consider sort of a randomness point of view on these Mm -hmm. things? Mm -hmm. Um, And the sort of magical thing is that when you go to a probabilistic point of view, there are very natural ways that you can put it into a statistical physics context where in statistical physics you are thinking inherently about probability distributions on certain particles, on particles in space or different mm-hmm. configurations of particles in space where there's maybe a physics motivation underlying the distribution you define, but ultimately you can distill it down into something that is, that is simply triangle-free graphs or different discrete structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I'm really interested in right now is just exploring more of this 
somewhat mysterious but somewhat really amazing connection between questions that arise in you know graph theory in combinatorics that you know for a long time we have just thought of in that context um, in the graph theoretic context and how looking at them from a more statistical physics perspective can help us sort of gain new insight into how to tackle these problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and hopefully it'll go in the other direction. I mean, I think we have this idea that, you know, because we learn calculus and we think about physics, you know, sort of being based on calculus, mm -hmm. but inherently, right, the universe has to be kind of discrete. So how do you, you know, cause you can't divide stuff forever. So, I mean, so, so it sort of makes sense that, 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 you know, the underlying business, when you get down to it, might have to involve some kind of like, you know, graph theory questions. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. But yeah, that that is remarkable that there's this connection. So mm -hmm. this is maybe a naive question about when you're talking about doing like probability distributions on graphs, are you saying things like um, the likelihood that that two vertices have an edge between them or or are we talking about some other kind of probability distribution yeah so there i i purposely didn't uh mm -hmm. include too many details just because there okay. are a lot of <laughs> a lot of actually uh interesting and all valid ways that you can think about you know imposing mm -hmm. probability you know into this world into uh, these problems these right. extremal combinatorics problems yeah. so one flavor is what you said um we can think of what's called the random graph model right. um the most common one is the Erdős-Rényi random graph model, where right. you simply have your n vertices, and you, for each pair of vertices, you flip a coin, and it can be a p-bias coin, uh, independently to decide mm -hmm. whether you put an edge there, and you can analyze what happens in that graph. Um, what are the likely properties that this graph might have um, if you, for example, change p, and. Uh, What's really cool about studying this model is that there are, for a lot of graph properties, there you can find these thresholds with respect to P. And this is like a, a huge, uh, very active area mm -hmm. of research right now. There have been a lot of really cool things proven just this year and the past two years with regards to, um, you know, a lot of open questions here. Um, but uh, you can sort of, if you let your p, your probability that you're adding an edge, be a function of n, the number of vertices, and you imagine n going to infinity, then you can actually uh, sort of chart what happens if you're trying to count, let's say, the number of triangles in your graph, the expected mm -hmm. number of triangles mm -hmm. in your graph, mm -hmm. or um, you know, other sort of other properties, and you can see, you know, how changing p changes the value of the thing that you're trying to count. And for a lot of things, they exhibit these thresholds where um, you're, the probability of finding a particular structure is close to zero, and then past a certain threshold, it jumps up mm -hmm. to something close to one, and it happens with high probability. And this is also mimicking something in the statistical physics world where we have things like phase mm -hmm. transitions. Right. 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 If you think of like in physics, just like water, liquid, gas sort of phase transitions. Um, we're, you know, we're also interested in studying like what happens to certain properties of your statistical physics distribution when you change the temperature of your or different parameters of your um, model. Can you find the sort of phase transition where the behavior changes quite drastically? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then so so GNP is is one of these ways you can sort of input probability. 
uh, into, uh, you know, take a sort of probabilistic perspective on these problems. Um, another is simply uh, something a little bit more physics motivated is um, by just imposing uh, a uniform or a non-uniform or a weighted, you know, distribution on the things that you're trying to count. For example, if you want to study triangle-free graphs, you could consider the uniform distribution on all triangle-free graphs and in vertices. Mm. And then think about like the uniform distribution on bipartite graphs and ask like are these distributions close in total variation distance? Mm. Mm -hmm. And you can conclude things about that based on what you know about, you know, how close are triangle-free graphs and bipartite graphs to one another. Well, what does that say then about the distance between the uniform distributions that you impose on each set. Mm. Um, and that's more of that sort of thing is, is sort of uh, characterizes the different sort of distributions that are come that come from the perspective of statistical physics. Um, there are things called like the easing model and the POTS model and the hardcore model that were defined by physicists. And it turns out that they are simply weighted distributions on things like graph colorings and independent sets of graphs. Mm. Um, and so you can study them in these two different contexts, in the context of the hardcore model from the physics world or in the context of a distribution on independent sets from mm. you know the graph theory world. The hardcore model, cool. I, I love that name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Well, we've gotten pretty far away from uh, um, triangle-free graphs can have at most n squared over four edges. So <laughs> you, you, you mentioned that there are like three or four proofs of this. Do you have a favorite? Um, I have to say my favorite is the very straightforward induction proof. Mm, okay. Um, and the reason I like this is because uh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a proof that I've done with um, high school students uh, mm -hmm. at a summer math program I teach at called Math Lear. Mm. Um, and I do it as an hour-long inquiry-based activity mm. where I simply pose to them this question, I let N be something like six mm. or five, something mm -hmm. that they could start drawing examples with. And they say, how many edges can you have before you start having defined triangles? Mm -hmm. And they often come up with the extremal construction, the, the, the complete right. bipartite construction mm -hmm. first. And then I ask them, you know, how, how can we prove that this is actually true, that this is the maximum? Right. Um, and they've learned induction at this point mm -hmm. uh, when I do this activity. And so it's a nice lesson in induction because it requires strong induction mm -hmm. and everybody wants to do weak induction, right. uh, first of all. And they always want to, what I call induct up instead of induct down. They mm. always want to start with an extremal example with n vertices and try and build something with n plus one vertices mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. Right. And I always have to remind them, you have to start with something that has n plus one vertices mm -hmm. and remove something remove and see something, what happens. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, and the base um, case of one vertex yeah. is super easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's also some argument about how many base cases we need and whether mm. we need one or two, two or, or three. three or where do we start. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's just a really nice uh, exercise and and practice and it's it's simple but uh you know it uh i get to give a little a tiny spiel at the end i don't not nearly as much as i have said here in this podcast so far but a tiny hint as to like you know what's cool about this theorem and what more could you do and uh 
some of the students have been interested enough to try and generalize to uh, you know complete graphs of mm -hmm. higher mm -hmm. orders, you know, a complete graph on four vertices and try and mimic the same proof. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really nice activity. Cool. Yeah. So a complete graph on four vertices includes a complete graph on three vertices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So therefore you're trying to avoid something more so so like some of these ones that have triangles could still not have the four sorry i'm yes. i'm thinking yeah. out loud here because i have yeah. very little i you know graph kind of uh graph theory intuition yeah. so okay just like which direction we're, are we going in yeah yeah how, yeah how many of these we're avoiding you and i are probably the same Evelyn. like we probably took one undergrad graph theory course <laughs> and then yeah and then and then became topologists right so yeah, <laughs> or, and it, it's kind of like it came up in like my introductions to proof class, mm -hmm. um, but but never like a specific class dealing with with graph theory things. Although the times that I've taught in like high school programs or stuff, it, it is the kind of thing that can be quite accessible mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. yeah. the idea of drawing a graph, it, it's not hard to explain to anybody. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, to answer your question, uh, so there are actually lots of triangles in the extremal example for the complete graph on four vertices. Okay. It's uh, just to give you a sense of how it generalizes. The extremal example is uh, the complete tripartite graph, where you take three parts now, of size mm -hmm. n over three, and you have all the edges between the parts. So it looks right. like mm -hmm. a giant so triangle. So a giant triangle, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, this kind of makes me want to go think about graphs a little bit. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, so the other part of this podcast is uh, we, we ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So so what do you think pairs well with, with this theorem? Um, so yeah, this, this question was actually harder for me. Than it's it's the harder for everybody. That's, theorem that's, question. Yeah. I thought of something right away, and then I thought, no, I can't say that. I okay. have to say something cool, and my pairing <laughs> has to be something <laughs> like neat. Um, that makes me seem like a cool person, uh, but I just couldn't think of anything better. So, mm. so bear with me. Okay. Um, my pairing is tofu. Okay. And here's I mean, why. Tofu is yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> great. Great. Um, so I thought of this because I think tofu is also somewhat of an underrated mm. ingredient, but it is also so versatile, and mm -hmm. you can use it in so many ways. So I grew up eating a lot of tofu because I, I grew up in a Filipino Chinese household mm -hmm. um, and it was just sort of a staple of the things we were eating. But then I realized that not everybody knows or appreciates tofu. I The first time I met someone who had who had never heard of tofu before mm -hmm. it just sort of shocked me. But then I really, you know, you know, it's not a common thing everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it, it's used in so many ways. And so I have been vegan since 2015. Mm -hmm. um, and also every year I gain more and more appreciation of <laughs> tofu as yeah. an ingredient. Mm -hmm. Like you can use it in stir fries. There's now cheese that's made of tofu. Mm -hmm. You can make like eggs using tofu. Mm -hmm. You can make a pie using tofu. There's so many ways you can use tofu. Um, and there's so many more like vegan options at restaurants and grocery stores and everywhere. Um, so I feel like, you know, for anyone who hasn't had tofu before, I would recommend at least giving it a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I 
I grew up in a household that did not eat tofu much, does not eat, you know, my my parents don't eat tofu much. But yeah, my, uh, I'm not vegetarian or vegan, but like eat a lot. We uh, have recently been enjoying this um, vegan Korean cookbook. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. called Vegan Korean. Yeah, I have have seen it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And just just checked out this vegan Chinese cookbook that, of Mm -hmm. course, it's like, I think multiple sections are tofu because it's sure. like mm-hmm. the tofu tofu part and the tofu skin part and right. the and then, you know yeah. do you all use firm or silken or yeah right yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah we we're a high tofu household now <laughs> <laughs> nice nice yep. yeah there's so many different levels of tofu that yes. you can have uh, and, yeah so many different textures like the Korean mm-hmm. soft tofu is different from like the the soft tofu in the the cardboard package mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. yeah and so mm-hmm. I finally found a Korean grocery store in Salt Lake that I could oh, get nice. to and got like the real stuff and mm. oh man great that um like soft tofu soup so good and I can yeah. actually eat the kind I make because when I get it at a Korean restaurant it too like spicy. it's way too spicy <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, so I nice. I cut in that cookbook I think I cut at minimum I cut it to um or sorry at maximum spiciness is like a third of what the recipe <laughs> says no 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 and no I no often no. will start with like a sixth third oh, <laughs> if I can work up no, the, the correct answer level in there was you know n squared over four the floor yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I uh, have. It, I am impressed by the the spice tolerance of uh, Koreans. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, a, a, Asian cuisine in general. We we once years ago, I was director of the university honors program, and there was this place in town. It was an Asian place, and they had various stir fries, and uh, you could get your, you could ask for your spice level from you know zero up to no refunds, right? And so we we had a student worker who was from Bangladesh. We we went to lunch there one day, and he got the no refunds, and we were like, so how is it? And he just went, eh. You know, like, like it's not very hot. Yeah. Just the, the remark. I mean, and it's just, it's just, it's just an interesting cultural thing because you know, I grew up in the Midwest. My mother's family was German. You know, we ate a lot of fried potatoes and sausage, like no flavor. You know, and uh, uh, it's just all what you get used to, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. All right. Well, this is uh, we we like to give our guests a chance to plug anything. Uh, where 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 can people find you online? Or well, you've 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 talked about your plays, so that's good. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. You can. I mean, you can find my website. I mm-hmm. I recently updated it, and now yep. it's uh, got an all purple background, which I'm very happy with. Okay. Um, nice. And uh, it's corinneyap.com. That's mm-hmm. Corinne with two R's and one, one N. N. <laughs> you forget yeah. um and yeah i uh i continue to perform my play so uh if you're ever interested in bringing me out somewhere to perform mm-hmm. uh i am always you know happy mm-hmm. to consider uh doing that and i've done it at a lot of math departments i uh did it at some conferences but i i don't have any conference performances coming up so mainly like seminars and colloquia slots uh, mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. um so evelyn if you have any uh, universities around you in salt lake city who might be interested in uh <laughs> in hosting our performance you can <laughs> let me know yeah um i'll make but, you vegan korean food oh amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah but uh yeah i mean i just i do this for fun so it's not something that i'm trying to i'm not trying to schedule 
you know, 100 performances of my show this year. I, I, I just do it whenever uh, someone is interested in having me there. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I'm always open to, to new inquiries. So, yeah, that's, I guess, the, the one thing that I'll plug. Okay. Great. Well, it was lovely to have you. I'm so glad we finally got to at least meet online. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you as well. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is sure. a lot of fun. This was great. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpkinnison.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>